Okay, how many of you made a New Year's resolution? How many of you think you might have, but you don't really remember? Yeah. We're really good at starting things. We're not as good at keeping things going or finishing up with stuff. When you made a New Year's resolution, it was probably because it would be something that would be good for you, something that would maybe help you be healthier. Maybe you decided that you would exercise more or you'd do a social media fast or you were going to count to 10 before you said something when you got mad or maybe you decided to stop being so critical. So you know those are all good things and you get started with them but then life happens and it gets challenging to keep moving in the same direction. So you stop exercising and you keep scrolling and you say things that you regret and then you're back where you're, you've started. And that just happens a lot to us. We find something that's good and we get started and then we have trouble finishing. And that's kind of what Paul is going to be talking about in the scripture that we're reading today. It's kind of a hard chunk and it's a little bit long, so you're going to have to hang with me. But by the time we get to the end, you'll understand what he's talking about. Galatians 4. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. And then dropping down to verse 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So, tough passage, but we're going to look at it in three divisions. We're going to look at first what has happened, then we're going to look at what is happening, and then we're going to look at what needs to happen in this situation and see if we can draw some lessons from that. So what has happened? Paul talks about before they knew God, so pre-Jesus, pre-spirituality, before they knew God, they were enslaved. They were serving something. It's the human condition. Bob Dylan had it right. So perhaps they were in slavery to the law which basically said, if you want to please God, you have to do these things and not do these other things. Now, Paul, for the most part, is talking about the Ten Commandments and the law that developed out of them. And there's a fairly convoluted argument that he makes here. But for us, it's more the sense of legalism for the sake of legalism. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about different things that are added on to the gospel. You know, you shouldn't drink, you shouldn't dance, you shouldn't smoke, you should vote this way and not that other way. And I had so many conversations with people who said to me, oh my gosh, the church that I grew up in, you know, we could do this and we couldn't do that. And over and over again, I just heard the stories of 
there was no life there. And that's pretty common. You start finding rules and they don't lead you to life. Plus, we're not really good at keeping rules. So there's slavery to the law, but then he also brings up slavery to other gods, like idols. Now, we don't sacrifice to a golden bull, we sacrifice to gold. We sacrifice to a picture of the retirement that we want to have. We sacrifice to the lifestyle that we want, or to youth sports with vicarious dreams of D1 fool rides. We sacrifice on the altar of youth, and none of those things bring life either. They don't deliver on the promises that they make to us. All the money in the world can't cure you from a degenerative disease. Do everything you can, absolutely, to stay as young and as fit as possible, but folks, gravity will win. And this might seem harsh, but your kid will not play D1 ball. They're a great kid, but I'm going with the stats on this one. So we chase after all sorts of other dreams and hopes. We're enslaved to all sorts of other things that ultimately don't bring us life. Then Paul says in verse 4, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So there is a lot there. So when he's talking about the law, it's the law that Moses gives. It's the Torah, the Ten Commandments. And basically what the law serves to do, Paul says, is to point out that we can't keep the law. Uh, the law is there to help us understand that we have a need for a redeemer. We're not going to be able to save ourselves by just doing certain things and not doing other things. We can't keep the, the law, just the same way that we can't keep our New Year's resolutions. And so the purpose of Jesus is to fulfill what the law came to do and bring us back to God as sons and daughters, as heirs of the promises of God. So that's what he's talking about when he's talking about the law that we were under. And at the fullness of time, Jesus came and he fulfills the law. So this has always been like one large progression. It's always been God's purpose to recreate, to renew, and to redeem. Ultimately, to make things the way they once were, where everything was perfect. And so, since he has come and done this, the law pointed out we needed a redeemer, so he sent a redeemer, and through the redeemer, it says that now we have received adoption to sonship. I want to talk for just a minute about this concept of sons, because generally speaking, I always want to make sure that women know they're included. I mean, we talk about sons, we talk about daughters, we use inclusive language, not because of any cultural pressure, but just because oftentimes the word is there. We want to make sure everybody's included. This passage, however, is one of those specific passages where it really says sons and it really only means sons. Does that mean that women are excluded? No. But it's talking about a very technical thing in the Roman Empire. So let's go back 2,000 years ago. Very different world. There's only one type of person that can inherit an estate, and that's the son. The women do not have that luck. It goes to the son. And so Paul's talking about this technical Roman legal thing. And then when he talks about who it's applied to, then yes, it goes to sons and daughters. And if you look back at the passage that I read, it talks about sons and daughters. But the concept is the concept of being the son 
because the son is the one who inherits. So that's why that word is used there. But then women and men are included in the overall concept. And then it goes on to say, because you are his sons, legal technical sense, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Um, Abba is simply Aramaic, and it's the, the two words are there, I think, to just define the word Aramaic, because the rest of it's written in Greek, just in case you didn't speak Aramaic, then you'd be like, Father, Father. Um, so we now have been given God's spirit, which means, following Paul's logic, we've moved from the elemental spirits of the world, and there's some discussion about what that means, principalities and powers, and sometimes it means just the law that he's talking about. We've moved from the elemental spirits, and we've moved from those who by nature are not gods, the idols that we talked about earlier, to having the Holy Spirit. And one of the benefits of having the Holy Spirit instead of these other spirits is that it allows us to address God as Abba. Now, Abba is how Jesus addressed God. That's what Jesus called him. And the early church picks up on Jesus's language. And they do this on purpose. They do this to demonstrate that we can have the type of relationship with God that Jesus had. So Abba, it's not like it's a nickname. It's more of a term of endearment. And if, if, they, if you have a term of endearment, there are only certain people that can call you that. Not everybody can call you some things. I had a friend, a very distinguished older woman, and her family nickname was Buzz. I have no idea why. I don't know where it came from, but you know, family nicknames are like that. It's a, it was a term of endearment. Her family called her Buzz. Well, one day, the guy that she worked for apparently heard one of her grandchildren or something like that calling her Buzz. And so he started to call her Buzz. And she's a very gracious person, but she's like, you, you don't get to call me that. Only certain people get to call me Buzz. And she finally had to have an uncomfortable dis discussion with them and say, look, you just, you can't call me that. Only certain people can call me that. But now we're family. And so we get to call God Abba. We get to use that term of endearment because we've been invited into an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And that's just demonstrated in that one very simple little word. We don't have a relationship that we have to wonder, is it on, is it off, have we pleased God? We get this term of endearment that we're welcome to use towards him. So we're invited into this intimate relationship. But there's another scriptural thought that I think is worth pausing on for a moment because we're gaining a relationship with one father, the father that we're, that we're invited to call Abba. But we're moving away from a relationship with another father. And John uh, writes about this in his gospel in chapter 8, verse 44, when he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan is the father of lies. And that's what 
we were under. We were born under the rule of the father of lies. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind because we live in a culture that tolerates and even encourages lying if it furthers the cause that you believe in or if it gets you what you want. But contrast that with what Jesus says a little earlier in John 8. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we've been set free from the father of lies to be in relationship with the God who has made us his children and who tells the truth. It's really that stark. We leave the lies for the truth. We leave the father of lies for the good, good father. We've been adopted into God's family. We've been given an intimate relationship with God. We've been given the Holy Spirit. That's what happens, has happened to us. This radical change because of the love of God shown to us in Jesus. That's what happened. So the second section we're going to look at is what is happening. And what Paul gets at is like with our New Year's resolutions, they've made a good start. But somewhere along the way, they went back to their old ways. Now, before we get all judgy, I'm not even going to ask how many of us have forgotten our New Year's resolutions. We start well, but we slide back. It's often the human condition. And that's why Paul says, my dear children for whom, I, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, until Christ is formed in us. By implication, we're being formed by something else, or perhaps more accurately, we're being deformed. And I want to go back to this father of lies versus Abba father comparison, because following one will form us, following the other will deform us. Let's look at a few examples. Being frugal is different from being cheap. Being frugal is a virtue. If we're frugal, we can avoid wasting money so that we can be generous with our money. And generosity is something that Christ forms in us. Being cheap is not a virtue. Being cheap means we want to hoard our resources. It means we don't think we can trust God for our future. It means we don't want to share. It means we aren't moved by other people's pain. Being cheap will deform us. Work, work is good. We were designed by God to work, to contribute. To create is part of the image of God that we bear. Work forms character in us. Christ came to serve and holds himself up as our guide in that. Work is good. Workaholism is deforming. Because when we're workaholics, we're looking to our work to provide us with something that it was never designed to provide us with, a sense of value and worth. Jesus forms us with inherent value and worth, and then we can work freely. We're deformed by believing that we are what we do. Sex was given as a gift that two people give to each other to demonstrate a level of intimacy and abandon to create a, the ultimate safe place of being loved and accepted and belonging. Sex in our society has become something that devalues people and strips their humanity from them. 
that commodifies people and debases them and deforms them and us. One forms us, one deforms us. We were designed for authentic community. We, we are formed in our relationships with one another, especially within the church. That's why we've been emphasizing three, two, one, and those relationships. If we don't have authentic community where we know people and are known by them, where iron sharpens iron, where we're pushing one another onto Jesus, if we don't have, if we can't find authentic community and real relationships, we will look to the internet to find it. And web-based relationships will ultimately be deforming. Truth versus lies, life versus death, being formed versus being deformed. Many of us are being formed or deformed by something that has lied to us, that tells us that we'll be satisfied by things that ultimately will only create a desire for more. It's why lust and greed are so destructive and deforming, because they can never be satisfied, simply by definition, let alone by experience. Paul writes, I plead with you, be like me. Look at my example. It's the power of the one, the person who can say, follow me as I follow Jesus, which again underlines the necessity of being in a relationship with somebody that knows you. So who or what is forming you? And hear the plea of Paul twice, follow me, be like me, let Christ be formed in you. That's the second. The third thing that we're going to look at is what needs to happen. What needs to happen is we started out good, we didn't do so well, we're kind of backsliding into the way things used to be and forgetting the way that they could be. Is what we need to do is get back up on the horse and take another step to being formed by Jesus again. So I have a couple of suggestions for us that we can do so that we can be formed by Christ. Uh, there are two verses that I challenge you to memorize. I actually do have them memorized, but I'm gonna read them because I memorized them in King James. So the, the first verse that I challenge you to memorize is Romans 12, one and two, which says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then the second challenge that I have for you to memorize is much shorter, so you're in luck. It's 2 Corinthians 10, 5b. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And if we do those things, if we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, our mind will begin to be transformed. And if we take, you can't help what pops into your head, but you can take every thought captive. And you don't have to dwell on that, and you can introduce new thoughts into your mind, and that will help form Christ in you, help us transform our minds. And when our minds are transformed, when we learn to think Christianly, that will help us work out the thousand things that the Bible doesn't necessarily address, but confront us continually. The next thing is tackle unhealthy behaviors. Maybe you drink too much. Maybe you complain too much. Maybe you spend money the wrong way. Maybe you're in denial about your addictions. Maybe this is the time to decide to break the power 
of things that have happened in your life and go back to being formed by Jesus. Then one of the things we talked about last week as well as this week is strengthen your relationships. How are your key relationships? How are they reflecting your commitment to Jesus? In what ways are you prioritizing them? Take those positive steps to strengthen your relationships, to tackle unhealthy behaviors. And then here's another challenge. And I'm lifting this completely from the very first sermon that I preached this year on New Year's Day. And it will help us with being frugal as opposed to being cheap. Uh, it'll help us uh, be willing to serve other people, help us learn to care for other people. Here's the challenge. Would you consider spending one day less on a vacation this year and using that money to help someone else? Just one day. Go to Hawaii for 14 days instead of 15 days. Go camping for 12 days instead of 13 days. And take whatever money that one day less would uh, save you and invest it in someone else. It doesn't even matter where. Do something nice for somebody. If, if you need a good idea, I have endless thoughts about how you can change people's life with a couple hundred or a thousand bucks. So come and talk to me. Would you consider spending one day less on vacation this entire year and using that money to help someone else? And then the other is super specific. Uh, we talked about how there are all sorts of elementary school kids around whose parents either can't or won't have birthday parties for them at school. And when you're in elementary school, it's a big deal to have your mom or your dad come and bring store-bought um, goodies and throw a birthday party. And how would you feel if you were in third grade and everybody else's parents brought stuff for a birthday party and when it was your birthday, nobody had anything? For very little money, you can buy a birthday party for a kid at one of our local elementary schools and imagine how that would change that. We've been, because we're in Lent, we've been praying Psalm 51 in various different ways and Brendan has mentioned it in various ways a couple times. And particularly captivating is this one line, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And that's my prayer for us this week, is that as we face various challenges, as we look to what's forming us or deforming us, that we'll look back and remember the joy that we had when we first came to know Jesus. So let me ask you three questions. What changed for you when you came to know Jesus? Number two, what is most likely to lure you back to the way you were before Jesus? And number three, what is one thing you can do this week to allow Christ to be formed in you? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.